Welcome to Alex Garrett Nightly on Can You Dig Sports? This is your nightly roundup of sports, stories of adaptability, and stories that should be trending but quite frankly aren't. Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Welcome to Alex Garrett Nightly. It's another edition of this uh, nightly show on Kennedy Sports Radio. And tonight, I've got a very important question for you. But first, follow us. AlexGNYC1. Can you dig sports on Instagram? AlexGNYC1. Can you dig sports on Instagram? And now here's what I want to know. Who's more synonymous with the U.S. Open than, honestly, the Williams sisters, uh, Venus and Serena, and this is on the heels of King Richard opening up this upcoming Friday starring Will Smith. But I've got an inside track to the Williams sisters. Is that right, Cecil Harris? W- welcome in to Alex Garrett Knightley. Oh, thank you, Alex. Thank you for inviting me. So talk to me. How, how is your relationship with the Williamses, the sisters, your or, and Richard? It seems like you spend a lot of time with them over the years. Well, I've covered them as a journalist, covering them at tournaments. Uh, most recently, the uh, 2018 U.S. Open that Serena lost in the final, that controversial final where she had um, disputes with the umpire over the way he handled the match. But going back to, um, well, actually the 2000 U.S. Open, um, I had a couple of conversations with Richard Williams on the grounds of the U.S. Open where he made some predictions at the time, Venus was on the verge of becoming number one, but Richard said Serena will be even better because she understands angles better and she's meaner. And on so many levels, Richard has been proven correct. He had this dream that his two daughters would become world-class tennis champions, global sports idols, and that's exactly what they've done. So I've been able to follow them as journalists and chronicle their success and People thought Richard Williams was crazy, but you have to say he was crazy like a fox. 76-page plan. Um, is that part of the craziness? What's that all about? Oh, well, basically, he he bought VHS tapes. It was before DVDs. He bought tennis books and VHS tapes, taught himself and his wife at the time, Orsine Price, enough so they could teach their two youngest daughters to become tennis champions. First, they had to learn the game to be able to coach. And he had it all laid out about basically once they were ready to play professional tournaments, they would bypass junior tennis. That's why Venus and Serena both turned pro at 14. They went against the grain on so many levels. Usually players come up through junior tennis but Richard Williams was wary of that because there's nepotism, there's cronyism. Sometimes if there are two black players in a junior tournament, they have to play each other in the first round to knock each other off. It's commonly known as the black draw. He knew about things like that and wanted to avoid it. So his plan was to homeschool the girls and Oracine, a nurse by trade, but she also homeschooled her daughters. And they had tennis instruction when they moved from Compton, California to Palm Beach, Florida. They had a tennis court right outside the house. So they were being and coached and taught to prepare for tennis careers. And again, because they were only 14 when they turned pro, a lot of people thought it would, would fail. But the Williams family has the last laugh because they 
They have two legends who went against the grain, did it their own way. Richard didn't go by the established book. He wrote his own book, and he succeeded. Now, you mentioned the homeschooling. Tell us about that, because um, did that help them gain the confidence they needed? Like, did they do public school at all? Oh, they did before they um, started, before they made the move to Palm Beach, Florida. They had, they went to, let's say, regular school. Drawing strength from the family and not allowing outsiders to dictate how they feel about themselves or how far they can go. Okay, so it, but, but you say they were starting to feel like outsiders because there were racial components to all of this climb to the top? Well, in a sense that people thought Richard was doing the wrong thing by having them turn pro so early, but the racial component sort of came after they had turned pro. There was a 1997 incident at the U.S. Open when Venus was deliberately bumped by a Romanian player who tried to physically intimidate Venus. Venus shook it off, won the match, and that's how she got into her first U.S. Open final. And Richard Williams made a comment after the match calling that Romanian player, Arena Spilea, quote, a big, tall, white turkey. And the international media covering the U.S. Open actually made more of what Richard said than of what Spilea did. Because it was an attempt by Spilea to physically intimidate Venus, who was only 17 at the time, playing in her first U.S. Open. And there was an even more... Uh, notorious incident in 2001 at a tournament in Indian Wells, California, when Venus was supposed to play Serena in the semifinals, but Venus pulled out with a knee injury. The crowd just assumed that Richard told Venus not to play so a victory would improve Serena's ranking. There was no proof of that whatsoever. It was a conspiracy theory, but people ran with it. And as a result, Serena made it to the final because Venus pulled out. And the crowd in Indian Wells, California, Southern California, not far from where the Williams family grew up, but sort of worlds apart socioeconomically, the crowd booed and jeered Serena. Mm -hmm. They booed Richard and Venus when they entered the stadium. Richard has told me that he was racially slurred, but I mean, that's hard to prove if you, didn't, if you don't hear it yourself. But Richard insists he was racially slurred by spectators, and he challenged several men to a fight, and they backed down. That's mm -hmm. you know his version of events. But there's no question the crowd booed and jeered. And Serena said she, Serena won the match. She won the championship. But on the way home, she said she cried in the car. It was such a painful experience. That was in 2001. And for the next 14 years, the Williams family did not return to Indian Wells because of that incident. Wow. And obviously it's a big tournament now, uh, almost every year. Yes. But Cecil, yes. I want to ask you, you just said you talk, You were talking to the sisters. Who was more talkative back in the day? Was it Venus? Was it Serena? It's, it's, in interviews, it's still Serena. She's the more outgoing of the two. I, I find Venus to be a bit more guarded in her comments, but she may be loosening up a bit. I saw an interview that she gave to ESPN during the U.S. Open this year. And, you know, this year, neither sister played in the U.S. Open for the first time since 2003. They both had leg injuries. But Venus is more guarded. Serena, a bit more open and more of an effervescent sort of personality. And you also see that on the court. Serena's not 
afraid to smash a racket and do some yelling on court. Venus, I've never seen her smash a racket. Only once in her entire career have I seen her raise her voice on, on court. That was back in 1999 at the Australian Open when she had braided hair and beads. Remember the early Williams sisters, they had you know, beads and braids. Right. And in a match at the Australian Open in 1999, the beads fell out of Venus's hair. They fell on the court. The umpire penalized her a point, basically delay of the match. And Venus was upset because she said that was not spelled out to her before the match. Mm. But really, before the Williams sisters came along, nobody wore that hairstyle. That's a distinct you know, African-American hairstyle, wearing beads in your hair. So it seems like at the spur of the moment, the umpire of that match decided, well, there are beads on the court. Well, I'm, I'm going to penalize you for that. <laughs> That's the only time I've seen Venus really upset on court. But Serena, she's had a lot of incidents over the years, and she's more expressive. And you, you can, she's just going to have a poker face. You can always read Serena's emotions. She sort of wears them on her sleeve. <laughs> yep. On her sleeve, right? And as she said to the judge, you know, I have a daughter now, and I want to show. But to me, that whole incident was so ironic, because if you have a daughter, I don't think personally yelling at the ump is a, is a good role model. Would you disagree? Well, I'll put it this way. I, Serena did not handle herself particularly well that day she was outplayed by naomi osaka i think that was the issue but yeah i'm I'm, i was covering that for the new york daily news sitting in the media section in the lower portion of arthur ash stadium and the umpire carlos ramos whenever he said something to serena he turned away from the microphone so we couldn't hear what he was saying to her but serena reacted angrily toward him she felt she was a raw deal but I can tell you briefly, she was given a warning because her coach gave hand signals. That's illegal in tennis. Now that coach, was that happen. Richard or was that some, because I know Richard has had some seating issues over the years, right? I'm sorry, say that again? Richard has had a few issues where they didn't know if he should be sitting where he was sitting at times. Is that right? Well, not 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 to a point where it's anything controversial. I mean, there's a section for the family. Um, you know, maybe you're referring to Wimbledon once when he sort of was dancing on so. top of the NBC broadcast booth with a sign in his hand. On one side, it said, it's the Williams party. And on the other side, the sign said, and you're not invited. That was totally against what they expected to do at Wimbledon, you know, dancing on top of the broadcast booth. But... This particular incident in 2018, when a coach gives hand signals, the player is penalized. So there was really no argument there, but Serena didn't like that. Then she smashed her racket. That was her second violation. You lose a point. That's by the book. And the third violation was umpire abuse. We Mm -hmm. didn't hear what the umpire said to Serena, but we heard Serena say to the umpire, no, you're the liar. And you're a thief, too. That's a one-game penalty. And because tennis umpires don't explain to the crowd what's happening, like if you watch an NFL game, the referee turns on his microphone, tells you holding on number 71, or whatever the penalty is. But in tennis, they don't tell the spectators really what's going on. And that led to a lot of the confusion. But in Serena's case, I think, well, she lost her poise that day. There's no question about it. Cecil, I want to ask you this because I know in your bio it says you actually interviewed 
all three of them. When were those yes. interviews, and what, and what was that like? In 2000, I had a couple of interviews with Richard Williams at the U.S. Open. Earlier in the sister's career, Richard would get so nervous, he would leave his courtside seat and walk around the grounds because he was too nervous to watch the match. I knew that was his habit. So when I saw him get up on two occasions during the 2000 U.S. Open, I went and met him as he came outside the gate, and he had two ground rules for me. No note-taking and no recording. So we would just talk, and he would break down Venus's game, break down Serena's game. People would recognize him. He had become famous by then. He'd sign autographs, pose for some pictures. And then he'd say things like, well, my daughters are not going to stay in the game very long. They're not going to be playing tennis into their mm -hmm. 30s. Well, that's one prediction that did not come true <laughs> because Venus is 41, Serena is 40, and they're still playing. And Serena is still one of the best players in the world. And what about their sisters? What were they like to talk to? Well, with Serena, a bit more outgoing, more willing to talk about her, her feelings and basically what has happened in the match in great detail. And at the time I talked to her, she was more interested in acting than she has been in recent years. The first time I interviewed her, she talked about wanting to play Althea Gibson in a movie. You know, if you don't know the name, for people who don't know the name, Althea Gibson was the first black major tennis champion in the 1950s. Right. And the parents, Richard Williams and Orsine Price, taught their daughters about Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe to let them know that they weren't alone. Like, even to many people, they had not seen a black tennis champion before, but their parents made sure Venus and Serena knew that Arthur Ashe in the 60s and 70s and Althea Gibson in the 50s came first. So I remember Serena telling me she wanted to play Althea Gibson. And who knows, she may do that. You know, she's 40 now. She doesn't have a lot of time left on the tennis tour. I would think 2022 would be the last year for both of them, just be because of age. And in Venus's case, she has not won a tournament in several years. So if Serena wants to turn to acting, that would be very interesting if she wanted to, to do that. But she told me she's about that. She's very lively. I think that could happen. Yeah, she has, yeah, she's very outgoing, and, and she has a certain charisma. She's done some acting before, you know. Well, I think they were, I mean, wasn't she in that commercial recently, I think? It was her, but Cecil, so, uh, about King Richard the movie, I know that you want to talk about this because obviously you're passionate about it. So, having viewed it, are there any misconceptions? Let, let's just nip it in the butt. Are there any misconceptions you'd like to talk about right now? I have to admit, I have not seen it yet. I have not seen the advanced screening of it. I'm, I'm going to see it on Friday. And well, I'm eager to find out if they, what liberties they take, if any, because it's almost always done in, in sports movies. There are usually, usually some artistic license. They may combine certain characters into one composite character. They may stretch the truth at some points, but I can't say yet because I haven't seen it. I'll see it on Friday. Well, I'd love to have you back on Friday because it seems like you've got an inside track here to the Williams sisters and, and on that term itself. So the Williams sisters became more than just people. They became a term, an icon, the Williams sisters. And is it because of King Richard that he be, that they became a role model for girls that wanted to do the sport? Absolutely. It was his plan to not only have these two 
um, daughters become tennis champions, but also inspire a new generation of, of tennis players. And really, when you consider that Venus is 41, Serena's 40, they've inspired two generations of, of young tennis players from Naomi Osaka. I mentioned her earlier. And here's the irony. One time I interviewed Serena, she told me that she wrote an essay for school about Althea Gibson. I interviewed Naomi Osaka for the first time at the 2018 Australian Open. And Naomi told me when she was in the third grade, she got an assignment from the teacher, write an essay about the person you admire most. Naomi wrote an essay about Serena Williams. Wow. And she told me in the essay, she said, my goal is to beat Serena in the U.S. Open. And that's, that's when she was in the third grade. By September of 2018, Naomi Osaka beat Serena Williams in the U.S. Open final. I want to ask so you about that's, that. That's because, part of the legacy. I want to ask about that because it seemed like after that win, it became the downfall of Naomi Osaka at the moment. So is Serena, beating Serena, was that more of a disadvantage for Osaka in a sense? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. That was Naomi Osaka's first major championship. She has won three more. Remember, she won the Australian Open twice. She won the U.S. Open in 2020. But she has said that ever since that 2018 U.S. Open, she has been dealing with depression. That was mainly because of the, the crowd's reaction to her. Remember all the controversy with the umpire? Naomi thought they were booing her. They were actually booing the umpire. And because, again, tennis umpires are not like NFL referees where they tell you what's going on. This is the penalty. This is who the penalty is on. And these are the implications. Tennis umpires don't do that. So Naomi thought the crowd was booing her. And she I could heard that not the, enjoy that championship. I also heard that the USCA didn't help things. Did they actually say, Serena, we wish you won or something to that effect? I, I heard something like well, that. The president of the USTA that year, Katrina Adams, basically gave the same speech after the match that she would have given if Serena had won. So it sounded extremely awkward after Serena lost. Katrina Adams basically said to the crowd, even though we didn't get the result we wanted today, Serena, you're still a champion. Well, Naomi's standing there. It made her feel like crap. I would say so. And, and look at this. Now... Do, do we fault her for wanting to bow out of Wimbledon media? Because obviously if you're going to be in this thing, you have to do media, right? So do, do we fault her? I, I don't. I think she needed time for herself, much like Simone Biles did. I, I don't fault Naomi all, at all. I think the tennis establishment needs to change its ways. They have something that they call media duties. If you become a star, you're required to give an interview before a tournament, especially the, the four majors, Australian Open, French Open, Wimbledon, U.S. Open. You have to give press, a press conference before the tournament, and you have to speak after every match. Otherwise, they will fine you. And what happened to Naomi at the French Open this year, she was basically bullied out of the tournament. She mm -hmm. did not want to fulfill those responsibilities, not the way tennis wanted her to. If you recall, Naomi went to the French Open. She won her first-round match. She gave an interview on court to Eurosport, but then they wanted her to give the press conference to the full room of reporters, and she didn't want to do that. And I think athletes should be allowed to say, I don't really feel like talking today, or 
I'll talk to a pool reporter who can get quotes and then, you know, give quotes to all the other reporters. Naomi basically fits the definition of someone with social anxiety disorder. I, I mentioned that a bit in the book because when I interviewed her in 2018, she was not a name yet, but I wanted to speak to her because of her background. Her mother's Japanese, her father's Haitian. Naomi Osaka was born in Osaka, Japan, oh, ironically enough. Um, Naomi's maternal grandfather basically threw them out of the house because he disapproved of the interracial marriage. He said to Naomi's mother, you have brought shame to the family. Mm -hmm. So they moved from Osaka, Japan to Elmont, Long Island to live with Naomi's father's parents. Mm -hmm. And so she grew up here. So it was not easy for her. It was not easy for the family, but they made it all work. And I should point out, Naomi's father, Leonard Francois, basically followed the Richard Williams book with his two daughters. Naomi became a superstar. His older sister, Mari, who recently retired because of back trouble. But in Naomi's case, she's very shy. So there are a lot of great athletes who are very shy or who don't want to speak. And it seems to me, you know, in team sports, someone like Marshawn Lynch, if you remember him with the Seattle Seahawks, he hated to do interviews. He just didn't do them. Guess what? They never said, be, you, so you can't play the Super Bowl. He wouldn't be there. He was there so he wouldn't be fined, right? That's what his promise Yeah, was. he said, I'm just here so I won't be fined. And well, I remember Rashid Walls, the basketball player, whatever you ask Rashid, he would say, both teams played hard. Both teams <laughs> played hard. <laughs> they don't, it, it seems to me with male sports stars, if they don't want to speak, no one's threatening to kick you out of the league or prevent you from playing in the, the biggest games. But with Naomi, they said, we're going to throw you out of the French Open. We're going to fine you heavily. We're going to prevent you from playing the other Grand Slam events. And that's why Naomi withdrew. And she's still trying to work her way back to the sport. But I'm afraid that the sport hasn't changed to accommodate her or to accommodate athletes who have social anxiety disorder it's not easy for to go into an interview room and have you know dozens of people like me questioning you i'm going to ask you because i, I believe there's been times where serena and venus have taken time off um for yeah. mental health but they didn't get any flack like that did they no they no they didn't i mean in the case of naomi's see naomi's getting a raw deal from the tennis establishment tennis can say oh we've got programs in place if players need to talk to a psychologist they can do that but it's it's much deeper than that the, the mandatory news conferences have to go if a player clearly can't handle that why not have someone from the tournament interview the player get some quotes give those quotes to the reporters i know that's not the same as getting the sound getting the sound bites mm -hmm. but I don't believe Naomi Osaka's career should be because she doesn't feel comfortable giving interviews. You know, in the past, many players, Serena, Venus, and others, have cut their interviews very short because they just didn't feel like going through that process that day. We saw that with you know, Simone Biles at, at the Olympics. She didn't want to go. She didn't feel she well, they had the twisties, she said, where I'm afraid to do the moves I normally do because I can't trust that I'm going to land on my feet. I might paralyze myself. So she stepped away. 
And there are people who objected to that, but Simone took care of Simone. Naomi's trying to take care of Naomi. And I wish the tennis establishment would, would do more to make it comfortable for her to entertain us with her great tennis, but not force her to give interviews when that's something that she's not comfortable with. I'm talking with Cecil Harris. He's actually on Twitter at Cecil H. Author, author of Different Strokes, Call Me Yankees, My Daddy. Charging the net, breaking the ice. You get the idea. He's actually covered a whole bunch of sports. Uh, and we're limited to Serena and Venus tonight, but I'd love to have you back because we might have a resurgence of the Garden with the Rangers. What's going on there? I, I love seeing the record and, and the way they're going right now. They're off to a great start. The, the Islanders are not, but they've been on the road for the entire beginning of the season. I'm eager to see their spanking new arena. UBS Arena opens on Saturday, but it's encouraging to see the Rangers off to a good start because it's such a marquee franchise. It's good for the NHL if the Rangers are good. So I hope they can get into the playoffs this year. I think the Islanders eventually will get their act together once they get all these home games. Well, they just oh. lost, Pulak, lost Pulak for a few weeks, I think six, which is not good for them. So we'll have to see what happens yeah. there. But I've got to ask yeah, you, we'll Cecil, um, where are you writing now? I know you're an author, but where are you now? Where can we find your work? Well, I, I do opinion pieces for NBCnews.com. And I've got a podcast project I'm working on with Sirius XM on the Williams sisters, Venus and Serena. So we're gathering information on them. I'm relying on my years of experience around the, the family. And sometime in 2022, uh, the Venus and Serena podcast will premiere on Sirius XM. And I hope by then we can call King Richard an Academy Award winning film because it's getting all kinds of great buzz. Yeah. I, you know, I, you know I, I tried to see it before... We, we got together, but I was not able to, but it's just a couple of days away. Yeah, and I was wondering, if so with NBC News, you most likely will write uh, a piece for that on the movie. I saw you write something on Kaepernick, and I just saw a little bit of his Netflix series, and you kind of see where his mindset's been and how it's been shaped over the years. Very interesting documentary on Netflix. Yeah, it is very interesting to see Colin in, in black and white. He collaborated with... Uh, filmmaker Ava DuVernay, who did the film Selma that your audience may remember, a Academy Award-nominated film about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and the march from Selma to Montgomery during the Civil Rights Movement. So to have those two collaborate on the Netflix series, it's very interesting. And um, I happen to be a 49ers fan. I liked Kaepernick back in the day when he you know, took the team to the Super Bowl and was that run-pass threat. But, you know, he took a stand... You know, it has the constitutional right to, to take a knee, but the NFL basically has blackballed him ever since. But I'm happy that, you know, he's found some post-football success. Well, I think that's part of his getting rid of his frustration about this. I think that's why he wanted yeah. to do it. But I've got to ask you about this while we're on this track for the moment. Um, do you see that, you know, Adrian Peterson's back? Do you see when they accept guys who, let's be honest, have not been exactly the best examples on the field off the field back on the field yet Colin can't find a job I mean I know Aaron Rodgers in hot water I know that Roethlisberger is on. I mean there's a lot of questions with these quarterbacks even in New York and, and they won't even give him a shot 
Yeah, there's a, a definite hypocrisy there. When there are teams that have injury problems and need a quarterback, need a spark, uh, the 49ers a few weeks ago, they had two injured quarterbacks. Garoppolo came back, but Lance was injured. The Jets with Zach Wilson, uh, Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger. There's definite spots where well, if we brought Colin Kaepernick in for a tryout, then you know he'd have a chance to show he could still play in the league. But to be blackballed means no team is going to give you a call. So um, he's also you know, he's had to move his- on, you know. A lot of this is slavery, which I don't necessarily agree with. You might, but I, I think that also these players want to play, and his idea was that they're they're sort of as if they're slaves to the NFL. I, do you feel that? I'm, I'm kind of curious. Well, as I say in the piece for NBC News, to the extent that Kaepernick and Eric Reed have been blackballed, it sends a clear message that NFL teams believe that players have no rights that they are bound to respect. And NFL contracts are not fully guaranteed, like Major League Baseball contracts and NBA contracts. It's a violent sport, yet the contracts are not fully guaranteed. Players are treated as disposable commodities. The average NFL player's career is only three years. For running backs, it's less than three years. So to that extent, they are well paid, but treated like field hands. On a plantation. That's a pretty strong statement. Uh, I, I still love And also, the, there's not much power in the hands of, of look, look, who, who are the former coaches, mm-hmm. coordinators, general managers? For the most part, former players. Like, I mean, I tell you, I'm a 49er fan. John Lynch is a general manager. I remember when he was a hard hitting safety for the Broncos and the Buccaneers. It's easier for the former white players to become front office people, league executives. And that's largely denied to former to black former players in the league where seventy percent of the players are black. And well, I was going to say they're still very well paid, and so that's where I kind of say, well, they're not exactly saying that they're well paid. That's kind of how I see it. Am I wrong in that viewpoint? Well, again, uh, uh, an enslaved person has no choice. An NFL player has a choice to join the league. So Kaepernick was saying that in a provocative way, in a figurative way. But the way the NFL is structured, black players are treated like field hands. And once their careers are over, and it's important not necessarily to focus on the stars, because the average NFL career is three years, which means half of them play less than three years. They're in and out, and they often have injuries that they carry with them for the rest of their lives. I referenced in the piece for NBC News, Harry Carson, who used to be a star linebacker for the New York Giants. He's in the Hall of Fame now, but he's he's 67 years old, and he's struggling with neurological problems. And he has said that he would not have played pro football if the league had been honest enough to tell him and his peers about the long-term effects of helmet-to-helmet hits. The league tries to penalize it every time it happens now, but we used to see it all the time on every play. And the league had knowledge that the helmets did not adequately protect the brain, but they didn't tell the players. So, you know, there have been high-profile suicides like Junior Seau and Dave Durison. 
and many, many other players who are struggling in their 40s, 50s, and 60s because the league did not level with them about the cumulative effect of helmet-to-helmet hits. And that's part of the problem with players not having enough power. There's such a power imbalance. The, The power dynamic is so skewered away from the players, the vast majority of whom are black, that's a problem for the NFL. All right. I want to swing it back to tennis really quickly. Your favorite okay. moment of Serena and Venus and even King Richard ahead of the movie uh, release on Friday. Yes. Well, tell me, what's your favorite moment? No, my favorite moment in their careers? Yes, yeah. Well, as for... I enjoy their Olympic success. You know, the sisters have combined for nine Olympic medals, which is incredible. Serena, four gold medals. Venus, four gold medals and one silver. I liked seeing the Williams sisters playing and winning gold medals in doubles. They did it in 2000, 2008, and 2012. I really enjoyed that. I mean, they've had great careers individually playing in the, the major tournaments and playing on tour for more than two decades. But I love to watch the Olympics, and I love to see athletes representing their country. And the Williams sisters have done extremely well with, as I mentioned, nine Olympic medals between them. And and doing doubles, too, which has always been fun to watch. Yeah, right. Singles and doubles. And they were the most formidable doubles team out there. Whenever they decided to play doubles, everybody else was playing for second place. Mm. Well, Cecil H. author Cecil Harris, I'm so glad we had this conversation. I'm glad you were able to join us tonight. And please do come back post-movie release and more as even, you know, the winter months heat up. Knicks, Rangers, all New York sports. Let's talk. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you for inviting me tonight, and I look forward to speaking with you again. I'm Al- And thank you, Cecil. I'm Alex Garrett. This has been Alex Garrett Nightly on Can You Dig Sports. Thanks again to Cecil Harris. Can You Dig Live is next. Stay with us all night long.